glad you're here this morning. Um, we know that there are a lot of places you could spend a Sunday morning, and we are blessed and thankful that you chose to be here and to worship with us today. If you are a visitor, I want to personally welcome you and invite you to lunch. Um, we would like to buy your lunch today. We uh, have lunch prepared in the fellowship hall, this room next door here. And um, this is for visitors, new members, college students, um, or, or anybody else. You know, they're not going to card you. You, you go and, and you, you hang out with us, have some lunch. We want to get to know you. We want to meet you. So if, uh, if you're wondering what you're going to do for lunch, that's a good option right there. Free lunch. There is such a thing. Um, we, we are LTC too. Oh, okay. If you're staying for LTC leadership training for Christ, you are invited to lunch as well. Thank you, Steve. Um, also we are in the process of, uh, an initiative we've called three by three by three. Basically what that is, is we are, uh, we've, we've taken some of these cards and we wrote down three names and we pray for those three names three times a day for three months. The idea is that we're just asking the Holy Spirit to intersect, work on some hearts, and, uh, and, and connect with people. Um, I talked to some people here this morning, and they said, we don't know why we're here. We just felt like we needed to be at church this morning. And I'm thinking, somebody's got your name on a card. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just saying. So, if you have not uh, joined in on that, it's not too late. There's no time limit. There's cards here. There's cards in the hub. We, we Jump in on that because we believe firmly in, in the power of prayer. Um, this morning, we're, we're continuing our series we've called The Table. And um, we are moving through Luke's gospel, looking at instances of food, uh, eating, table fellowship. Because in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus eating or, 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 or going, he's either eating a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal all the time through Luke's gospel. And Luke uses that table and, and that setting of table fellowship to teach us a lot of things. And so that's why we're going through that. Um, Antonio, Rafael Antonio Lozano is a man with a mission. This guy has a, a strange mission. Um, his mission, he says, is to visit every corporate-owned Starbucks on the planet. Uh, he started this, that's really him, he started this in 1997 when there were a little over a thousand corporate-owned Starbucks and um, has been doing it ever since. There are, at last count, some 6,500 Starbucks in 37 countries and he has got almost 4,000 of them marked off his list, um, which is pretty impressive. But, but when they interviewed him, he said, uh, he didn't know why he started. He just started. And, and it's one of those things that uh, he says, I, I'm, I'm never going to be done. Because every time I visit another one, they've built another one. And every time I mark another one off my list, there's another one going up. And, and whenever I go to a Starbucks, I, I, I feel like I've got something checked off my list. I feel like I've accomplished something when in reality... I haven't accomplished anything. Unfortunately, a lot of us are like that. We don't 
maybe have a crazy dream to visit every franchise of something, but we are crazy busy not accomplishing a whole lot. If you notice now, that's one of our common uh, uh, refrains. If I ask somebody how they're doing, they'll say busy or crazy busy. And it's, it's sort of a humble brag. It's sort of, I, I'm so important that I really don't have time for things. And, and we honor that with our response. Well, it's better than the alternative. You know, that's, that's because in our society, busy has become a status symbol. There was recently a study by uh, uh, Harvard uh, researchers. And, and what they found is, is that nowadays, busyness has replaced a lot of other things as a status symbol or as a mark of, of high importance, value. Used to it was leisure. And, and when you made it was when you didn't have to do anything anymore. Or it was scarcity of the resources that you had, whether it was jewelry or cars or whatever. Now the scarce resource is time. And so when I'm crazy busy, it is in, in American understanding, in our viewpoint, a mark of success, a mark of status, a mark of importance. Unfortunately, like Lozano, we're all incredibly busy not doing a whole lot. Busyness serves as a kind of hedge, though, against, against emptiness. We... we feel like obviously my life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if I, if I have all these things going on. If I'm so busy, my, my life must be important. One young lady even connected uh, the, her, her status uh, to her pregnancy. She said the great thing about being pregnant is that it's the only time in my life when I can actually be productive all the time. Even when I'm asleep, I'm accomplishing something. Because that's our mindset. We've got to be productive. We've got to be busy. We've got to be doing something. And, and it carries over. And, and a lot of us, though, are trying to get our sense of self-worth out of our busyness. We're trying to get our sense of value out of our activity. Um, and, and while that status symbol of constant busyness is an American marker, it is not necessarily the life we're called to in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, um, get those out, whether it's on your device or, or a paper Bible, we don't care about that. But I would like for you, if you're going to be here, bring your Bible so that you can be in the Word and following along. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. There's some out here uh, before you leave today. Stop and talk to somebody out here at the Hub. We would like for you to leave with a Bible um, so that you can have that uh, when, you re- when you go home regardless. But if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 10. Is where we're going to be. As I said, we've been journeying through Luke's gospel, looking at instances of the table. And this week, our table is at the home of Martha. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to start about verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now again, 
This is a story about hospitality. It's about fellowship. If you look at Luke's gospel, we looked a few weeks ago at the story of the the sinful woman at Simon the Pharisee's house. And that story was not about status quo or breaking boundaries. It was about hospitality. It was about that one had welcomed Jesus and the other had not. Um, The story right before this in in chapter 10, Luke's going to talk about the Good Samaritan. And that story is about hospitality. It's about offering, offering someone what they needed in the moment. It's about welcoming. And and all of these are about welcoming Jesus. And Martha is welcoming Jesus into her home. Notice here, we always assume that these sisters live together. But that's not necessarily what the text teaches us. That's what tradition has taught us. But, But the text, the Bible says, Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Now, that her is not there in the original language. It's something the translators inserted. They do that sometimes to make things make more sense in English. But because of the the possessive way that things are written and because of of the setting here, you can tell that that's probably a pretty good translation. That that Martha is the one showing ownership here. Martha is the one showing responsibility. That's important because I think Martha gets a bad reputation. I think Martha gets run down for, for, for no reason. If you're like me, you grew up in the church. You heard sermons a lot from this story. And, and Martha was always the one being chastised because she was the bad guy. She was the one who was doing too much. She was the one who was complaining. And, and we were told that we should repent of, of our activity and our busyness. That, 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 but, but is that really what this is saying? At the end of the previous story, Jesus said, go and do. And now he's, com- he's, he's complaining or, 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 or telling Martha that she should not be going and doing. That doesn't make sense. So let's look a little closer at this story. Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. Now, we don't know why there's not a husband mentioned here. doesn't say, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us about that. But... It's safe, I think, and this is Jeff's opinion, to assume that there was a husband in the picture. Here's why I say that. Stay with me. First of all, women can't own property at all. It's illegal. There's no way that this is actually Martha's house. It just couldn't, it couldn't happen. It's not, it's not possible. And so for there to be ownership... It had to belong to a man at some point in her life. Now, Lazarus is her brother. If it was Lazarus's house, the Bible would have called it Lazarus's house and not Martha's house. Um, so, while Lazarus may be the man in her life that gives her status, the ownership of the home is, is translated onto Martha. That's interesting because that means that it's either a family home that was passed down from her father, again, would have been called Lazarus's home because he's the male heir, or there was a husband, possibly a husband who passed away, and now you have Martha under the responsibility of the next man in her life, which would be Lazarus. But the ownership the caretaking, the, the hospitality is still being extended by the one who is responsible for the home. It's Martha's house. Now, that's important because it gives us a better picture of Martha. Martha's the responsible one. 
Martha is the one who has her act together. Martha is is the one who cares for this home, who makes this house into a home. Martha is the one who is providing the hospitality. Martha is the one who is inviting people in and who is preparing the meal for them, preparing to, to serve them, to meet their needs. This is Martha's show because Martha is the one who is responsible. Martha has her act together. Now, Mary is pretty much the opposite of that. Mary is a little bit rebellious. Mary's a little bit of a rule breaker. In fact, one of the translations of the, of the name Miriam is rebellious. Mary is just a little bit not content to go with the norm. I say that because while tradition a, a lot of times in churches has, has connected Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene, there's no textual evidence that they're the same person. Uh, it's more likely that they are two different people, that Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany are different people. But we know that this Mary has a tendency to break the rules because it's going to talk about how later she's going to be the one who is going to anoint Jesus' feet and, and wipe the perfume with her hair. You remember that? That's this Mary. That's Mary of Bethany. Now, that's important because in that society, women who took their hair down were scandalized at best. Okay? Adults, you're going to have to read between the lines. There are children in the room. But women who took their hair down were considered a a little bit scandalous. Are you with me now? Nod your head like this so I can stop. Thank you. Um, So when she does that, she's not just breaking the rules. She's embarrassing everybody in in the picture because that's not what she's supposed to be doing. Um, Right here, this whole story that we're in right now in Luke 10 is predicated on the fact that Mary is breaking the rules. See, Mary is sitting at the teacher's feet. To sit at the teacher's feet is to sit in a place of discipleship. It's to sit in a place of education. Think about Paul talking about how he sat at Gamaliel's feet. You remember that, some of you Bible scholars? That, that's, that's what's happening here. She is in a place of education. Women were not allowed to be educated. But this is not just about law. This is about that they believed scientifically that women could not be educated. That it was impossible. But I'm I'm not making this up. You want to get really crazy? They believed that women had what's called a wandering womb. I'm not making this up. Go look it up. This is the science of the time. Um, Hippocrates himself called it a, a, a caged animal. That a woman's womb would move back and forth throughout her body. And, and that sometimes it would go left and right and that would cause her to, to have these swings back and forth and, and, and erratic behavior. Sometimes it would uh, move up into her bowels, which were the seat of emotions, and that would cause her to be emotionally irrational. Sometimes it would move even farther up, and when it moved up into the chest, it would cause her breathing to become erratic, and, and her brain would not be able to function, and she would get hysterical. It was impossible in their society for a man to be hysterical. Only a woman could be hysterical because men didn't have a one. Womb. Now I'm making this stuff up. 
But because of the wandering womb, women could not be educated. They believed that it was impossible for a woman to learn. Therefore, a woman sitting at a teacher's feet was not just scandalous, it was stupid because there was no point in it. But Jesus never, ever treats it that way. Jesus never, ever steps into all that. He doesn't sit there and get to arguing science with all these people, but He never treats a woman as if she is in any way inferior. Now, Mary is being rebellious and uncouth. And we're starting to see this story a little bit differently here. Martha is the responsible one who's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's the one who's doing the right thing. She's the one who's doing the culturally approved thing. Mary is the rebellious one who is doing something she should not be doing. Now, you think this is the first time these sisters have had this fight? Come on. Some of you got sisters, right? Some of you got brothers. You know what I'm talking about? Why do you have to do this all the time? Why are you always embarrassing me? You don't think they've had that fight? Why? Why do you have to take your hair down like some kind of woman of the night? What are you doing? Are you nuts? I'm sitting here doing the right thing and all you can ever do is the crazy thing. You're driving me insane, Mary. And so now here's an opportunity. Martha's going to involve Jesus. Maybe if she won't listen to me, maybe she'll at least listen to Him. And so she comes to Him and she says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm doing all the work here? Don't you care that she's sitting here doing something she's not supposed to be doing and I'm the one putting all this together? Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Make her do what she's supposed to be doing. Don't you care? Tell her to behave. Tell her to act right. And Jesus answers her, Martha, Martha. That's not a chastisement. That's not a condemnation. I want you to hear the love in that response because it's not, uh, it's not the Brady Bunch. Martha, Martha, Martha. It's not the Brady Bunch. It's not a chastisement. It's not a rebuke. There's love in that statement. Martha, Martha. You are so distracted. You're, you're anxious and troubled. You see, the text is telling us what the problem is. The problem is not Martha's busyness. It's not what she's doing. It's the distraction, the anxiety, the trouble. A better translation of that word troubled would be panicked. See, Martha's overloaded. Martha is super stressed out. She is hitting her limit. And she's lashing out, distracted, anxious, and troubled. Now see, there's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong with serving. We've been doing a class uh, on Wednesday nights, Work is Worship. And one of the things that we discovered is that when you're first introduced to God in Genesis, God is at work. It talks about God doing the work of creation. God is a working God and we are made in His image. Work was in the garden. God put man in the garden to keep it before the fall. Work's not a a, a result of sin. Work is part of the plan all along. God wants us to be at work. God wants us to be serving. So what's the problem? 
when my work, when my service distracts me, when my work makes me anxious and panicked, when it's distracting me from what I should be focused on. See, Jesus never says, Martha, you should stop. Martha, you shouldn't be doing all this stuff. Martha, stop working. He doesn't say that. He says you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but there's only one thing that matters. I think that's a word a lot of us need to hear this morning. That you're anxious and troubled about many things. You've got a lot on your plate. You've got a lot on your mind. And it's stressing you out. It's wearing you out. It's wearing you down. That job that you're going to go to on Monday, when, 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 when you get through with lunch this afternoon, you're going to start shifting back into work mode and the stress is going to start building back up. You're going to feel it. And Jesus says you're anxious and troubled about many things. But there's just one thing that matters. Those kids that you're worried about, you know, those kids that, that you're worried about their future, and come on, y'all, it doesn't matter how old they are. Some of y'all got kids that are 50 years old, and you're still worried about their future. It's okay. Those kids that you're worried about, Jesus is saying they were mine before they were yours. There's only one thing that matters. That church, that church work that you're busy with all the time, that's great. We need that. The church is much more productive because of your work. But if that church work is making you distracted and anxious and troubled, if you're too busy to pray, if you're too busy to seek the one thing, then it's time to let go of the many things. Because Jesus says, it's not the church of Jeff. It's my church. Let me handle it. When I said the gates of hell would not prevail against it, I didn't put a caveat in there unless Jeff does his part. Doesn't, doesn't matter. I got this. Your retirement, your money, your health, your family, your friends, whatever it is, don't be so distracted and anxious and troubled about the many things that we miss the only thing that's going to survive into eternity. Don't be so troubled with the many that we miss the one. That's the first thing Jesus tells Martha. The second thing he tells her is you let Mary worry about Mary. She's chosen her path and it will not be taken from her is actually what he says. He's saying quit worrying about your sister. Your job is not to police your sister. Quit worrying about your sister. Quit trying to manage your sister. The, 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 and, and we need to hear that too because we're guilty of that. Let's be honest. That brother or sister that we think doesn't come to church enough, we need to quit worrying about them. It's not your job. That church in that place that you're worried about that you don't think is worshiping correctly, you need to leave them alone. That's not your job. You need to worry about the main thing. Let Mary worry about Mary. That family that you're concerned about trouble that they're having, you need to let them, let Mary worry about Mary. Those people who don't discipline their children the way you think they should, you need to let Mary worry about Mary. We could keep going. 
The problem is not the service. The problem is not the work. The problem is keeping the main thing the main thing. The problem is letting the many things become more important than the one. The problem is thinking that I've got to tell Mary that she needs to do what I think she needs to do. See, we have an opportunity to sit with the creator of the universe. We have an opportunity to engage with the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And sometimes we're too worried about fixing lunch. Focus on the one thing. The main thing. What we need is a plimsoll line. Do you know what that is? A 17th century politician, Samuel Plimsoll, Plimsoll, British politician, uh, was around in the 19th century. I'm sorry, it was the advent of insurance in the 19th century. The advent of insurance created an incentive for ship owners to overload and sink their own ships so that they could collect the insurance money. It became a standard practice. They started doing it so much, that, that and, and so many seamen's lives were, were lost, that they started referring to them as coffin ships. Because it was a common practice to overload ships that were old and worn out, so that they would sink, so that they wouldn't make it to their destination, and the owners could collect the insurance money. Plimsoll was a, a Christian who was following his, his companion, William Wilberforce, and, and they were applying their Christian principles to their work lives. And in doing that, he decided that he was going to, to take advantage of this. He was going to correct this. In 1868, at Sheffield's Fullwood Chapel, he announced to the world that he was going to do all in his power to end this practice. And in 1873, under Plimsoll's leadership, Parliament passed what's called the Merchant Shipping Act, which required all ships to this day to have a line painted around their hull, what's called the Plimsoll Line. And it showed when that ship would be overloaded. If the ship was sitting too low uh, and, and underneath that line, it was over the load limit and the owners would be fined. We need a plimsoll line in our calendars. We need a plimsoll line on our electronic devices. We need a plimsoll line at our jobs. Because sometimes we get so overloaded that that our ship's in danger of going down. Jesus says it's not the many things. It's it's, it's not the work. It's not the service. It's, It's that you're so distracted and troubled and anxious about the many things that you're missing the main thing. It's that you're so worried about what your sister's doing that you're missing your opportunity to sit with the creator of the universe right here. There's a lot of us today who are in the same place. I don't know why you're here this morning, but I, I, I believe with all my heart that a number of us are here because the Holy Spirit wants you to hear that. That it's time to quit being distracted by the many things and, and focus on the one thing. We're going to have elders and their wives at the back of the room this morning. They do that because it gives you an opportunity to go find somebody to play, pray with. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to do anything publicly. But, but they are back there to, 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 for you to be able to go to them and say, Hey, I need you to pray with me. 
You don't have to tell them. This is not confession. We don't care. Nobody needs to know what you're praying about. You just need to say, hey, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I need you to pray with me right now. And they'll pray with you. They're not going to quiz you. They're not going to ask you. God knows. We don't need to. That's what that's for. Because you have an opportunity to put aside the many things and focus on the one thing. However, we can help you do that this morning. I encourage you to come right now while together we stand and sing.